0: Welcome to the latest episode of the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast. If you're a leader who's serious about building your leadership skills and transforming your organizational culture,
1: you're in the right place. I'm Ken Cameron. And I'm Russell Stratton. And in this episode, we need to effing talk to Shannon Birch. Shannon is a customer experience guru, passionate leader, catalyst for change, collaborator for innovation. Welcome to the podcast, Shannon.
2: Thanks, Russell. Good to be here.
1: So, Shannon, we've known each other for probably close on three years. Our daughters used to play together on the same U15 hockey team. They now both play U18, uh, Calgary Fire, but on separate teams. So I think on this occasion, we are allowed to speak. It's not as if we're at the arena and have to sit on separate sides, (laughs) um, not talk to each other. So we are here, and uh, when we fight first met um, uh, Shannon, Shannon was the team manager for the team, which if anybody who's been involved in, in minor hockey or any uh, youth sports will know, is a a thankless task in many ways that involves lots and lots of duties and answering loads and loads of questions for people. So she did a, a fantastic job uh, that season in, in doing that. Um, but I had looked at your sort of bio, I'd connected with you on LinkedIn, and I was particularly interested in some of the uh, roles that you played and particularly those passions that I had described just now. So I'm going to uh, throw it over to you, Shannon, uh, the elevator pitch that you've no doubt done many times at networking events. Uh, we like to put a twist on that and the, why should you know anybody keep effing listening to you over the course of this not go and binge watch Netflix? So um, <laughs> give us that elevator pitch of what you do.
2: Yeah, you know, this one's the one you always try to perfect. But I think the easiest way is that I'm a guru of people and processes. So I have a knack for being able to design experiences both for customers and for employees that makes them feel. And um, why is that so important is because obviously with employees, when they feel valued and motivated, they're higher product producing. They want to strive for their own success. And on the same um, vein, customers, when they feel they're more loyal to your customer and they buy, to your company and they buy more.
1: Okay, that's interesting. I I particularly like the point on both your customer there and uh, with employees, you talked about people's feelings. So so can you sort of drill down a little bit for us in there about perhaps how you do that um, on both sides, perhaps on the employee side first, and then perhaps an example on the customer side?
2: Yeah, so I think first of all, it's just, treating them like humans, right? Remembering that everybody has a perspective. Everybody has um, has come into the role, into the company um, by, by their own path and journey. And by being really open and um, interested in what that journey was and what they bring to your team um, allows people to really feel that they have power. They have the opportunity to, shine, to better themselves, and to contribute to the team. And so if you can really create and cultivate an environment where people feel safe to feel and don't feel like somebody's going to, you know, um, berate them or don't feel like somebody's going to always contradict them or or not let them be them, uh, you can really get uh, a, an environment of high uh, produce or um, high productivity and just really high-achieving individuals that that drive your business forward. And then similarly on the customer side, right? Customers come to us in a variety of different means, um, but when you actually make an impact on them and and make them feel great, you know, um, we live in a world of a lot of customer experiences quite mediocre and not doesn't really invoke happiness and excitement, and so if you can create an environment where customers feel like they just got a little extra than what they were expecting, um, and they and you really cared and heard them, uh, loyalty comes quite easily after that.
0: That really resonates with me, Shannon. I've heard the expression that great customer service is table stakes. You know, you have to provide some great customer service no matter mm-hmm. what your industry, no matter what your company is, and that's not even standing out. If you want to be the kind of company that stands out for customer service, then you need to go not just the extra mile, not just the extra kilometer, but the extra—I don't know—light light year, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because you read so many books on how do you get to excellent customer experience, and and what I've what my experience has told, taught me is that as long as you can evoke a very positive experience that feels customized or personally, um, you know, around that authentic to that person, uh, customers are really, that, that, that emotion drives them to be, become more loyal or to be an advocate or to buy more. Um, and often c- companies get so wrapped up in, that has to be like, we have to sp- give them like something. We have to give them $10 off, or we have to give them um, a special gift on their birthday. And although I think we like that, I don't think that that actually creates a consistency of that same experience every single time. Um, and and what like, you know, and I use like, for example, Starbucks is an example. They really have revolutionized how um, um, coffee is bought and sold in our country or in many countries around the world. And simply a lot of that was just by putting your name on a cup. Right. Right. It was that's where they started. They're obviously in a different experience mode now, but for the most cases, it was writing your name on a cup and making sure that your drink felt personalized to you and look at what they created out of something as simple as that. And, you know, other places now sell coffee with your name on the cup.
1: Yeah. And I, I think one of the things you mentioned earlier, Shannon, about that sort of resonated with me about on the employee side and certainly with, with the work that Ken and I do when we're looking at helping leaders about, well, how do you improve individual and team performance and build that uh, sort of culture that gets people engaged is I often say to people, look, when you've got your employees, the 99% of people that come to work want to do a great job. They don't want to come to work to suck. They want to do a good job. And then we always say, yeah, there's always the one person we know, that exception, but there you are. That proves the rule that 99, probably 99.9% even, want to do a great job. So your job as the leader is to just facilitate for them. How do you help people to do a great job? You've you've got great people who can want to do a great job. You sort of want to get out the way and let them let them do it. So I thought that idea about them feeling that they're part of the team, that they're valued, that that was what was important. So that was very interesting you mentioned that.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You know, we often, I've worked in big corporations where we create policies for that 0.1%, right? Like, that one that might not want to come to work and do good things and exceed, instead of creating an environment where people can take their experiences, their knowledge, their expertise, and, and create an environment themselves. They self-motivate themselves to do a great job amongst uh, their peers and, and leaders within the organization.
0: So how did you get here, Shannon? Was there one experience that drew you to wanting to work in customer experience? Like I had this experience where I sat through so many horrible board retreats as a board member that I just thought no one should have to suffer as I have suffered. So I decided to start leading them (laughs) myself, right? So is this like, how did you, did you have some really horrible customer service
2: experience? Yeah, that's a great question, Ken. I don't think until recently did I really think about how I got here. Um, but as I think back, um, when I was in university, um, I got a job at a high end ladies' clothing store. And so here's this little 18, 19 year old going into work and sell like designer clothes to women that were mostly in their 50s and 60s and, you know, living in Alberta were, you know, dripping in oil and gas money at the time. <laughs> and so um, how the heck would I do be successful in this environment? And what I learned is that when you just treat people like people and don't worry about whether I was 19 years old and they were 60, um, but help them just feel good in their clothes, then um, I I was highly successful in doing that. And so at the time, I don't think that I knew that's what I wanted to do. But in my career, I've always picked paths that allowed me to continue to help people feel great in whatever they do. And, and that naturally turned into leadership, which although I've mostly led customer experience businesses, um, you know, leadership is definitely where I love. That's my, that's my fun spot. That's where I'm my most happy.
1: So I noticed in your, um, bio when we were just having a a glance over that before we came on on air um you'd worked a lot in the in the finance industry in various different organizations and, and banks over the years so what's been the biggest unexpected challenge that you found in your industry in recent times
2: that's a good question probably didn't know the answer to that until i left the industry to join a startup but it is the fact that the bank's are, are, you know, so traditional and talk about the customer, but don't actually deliver on that, right? It, 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 it um, you know, I think that people in the branches and people on the phones, the frontline people do everything possible to do a great job for customers. But overarchingly, when you make business decisions that, you know, could lean to help the customer versus the business, they will always lean to the business. And so um, I, I think I was starting to feel very challenged by that and not, not maybe aligning to, to what, you know, I, I truly and morally believed, which is what I and the reason I've learned that now is because joining Neo Financial, which is a financial technology company with a, a goal to, um, to change banking in, Canadian, in Canada for Canadians, um i can now see when we lean into the customer what a difference we can have and what you know what how how customers are just shocked by the fact that they can get that kind of experience from a bank
0: and it's quite common in my experience in the work that I do around organizations and uh, values and engaging employees that when there's a mismatch between a person's individual values and the organization's values in the way that you've just outlined, like you, you know, you have this value that's clearly very closely held around customer service and the organization either doesn't share that value or pays lip service to that value, then Mm -hmm. that's really the origin of customer engagement or disengagement in this case.
2: Yeah, I agreed. right? And you just, you know, lucky for me, I don't have it in me to not be a performer and trying to always better myself. Uh, But, you know, did figure out through a series of events that this, uh, you know, being in a place where, um, I can really have an impact on the experience a customer has and that our business decisions are weighed you know around the customer We're designing an entire bank um, around that experience um, you know, that that definitely gets me out of bed every day and work harder than I probably have in decades um, but uh, doesn't ever feel like work so where do you where
0: do you see the industry in 20 years from now in 20 years time?
2: Yeah, I see the industry being much more around um, the cust- uh, uh, Canadians feeling sy- financially successful in whatever that means for them. So you know, banks make it feel make you feel like you have to have certain amount of savings, and you have to be planning for re- for retirement at twenty, which most people doesn't even I Can't even say the word at twenty. Like, what does that mean when you have thirty five years, forty five years of work in front of you, right? Uh, you just want to be able to put food on the table or we have so many Canadians that need to, you know, spend They're they're supporting their families in another country. You know, what does that experience and financial success mean for them? And and I just see an industry that can be can lift a whole country up and, and do many different things for this country if it was thinking more about our Canadians and less about the bottom line every time.
1: And that, that's really interesting, because our, our, our previous guest on, I think it was the uh, the episode or so before this, uh, Dean Kendall from Ideal Life Experience, was talking at it very similarly for you. Um, he sort of provides um, in, a financial advisor, and providing investment advice, mm-hmm. but he was coming at it for a very similar um, angle from you about, are we providing a customer experience as to what the customer actually needs, or are we providing what the institution wants? I need to sell you these products. Um, mm-hmm. and rather than um, what do you actually, and he very much talks about a system called the ideal life experience. What What is the life that people are looking for? Start with that vision and then sort of work back on the financials from there. So it's interesting you saying it, coming in from a, a slightly different angle on there, but having a similar outlook um, to what he was talking about as some of the challenges for, for banking going forward.
2: Yeah. Yeah, banks shouldn't have the right to decide what, what financial success looks like for for any of us, the three of us would have different interpretations to what that means for us.
0: What's going to happen, do you think, in the realm of the customer experience over the next twenty years? Um, quite apart from uh, just not just industry specific, but across all industries.
2: Yeah, my hope is that the customer gets to be much more empowered, right, and be able to really differentiate between you know their loyalty going to a, a, a company that shows how much they value them and provides that, that consistent experience time in and time out uh, versus, you know, having to, to um, go to uh, a vendor or some, you know, whatever type of business or service, um, no matter just because it's the closest or because um, there's no other provider for them and they feel like they get a bad experience every time. I, 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 I hope we lean more to the other side.
0: How's that different in a practical sense from what exists now? Like uh, presently, if I want um, some service, uh, you know, let's say I'm getting some online service for, like, let's say my accounting, whatever, and um, you mm-hmm. know, I'm using like Wave.com or something. And if I want to switch to Neo Financial, I, that that's not that hard. I you know, I just I can mm-hmm. simply close one account, open another account, migrate my data, export it into a CSV file, uh, uh, import it to the to the next provider. So how is what you're picturing greater control from the customer different in 10 or 20 years time than it is what we've already got going now
2: well and, and you rate right, there are parts of the industry right now that makes it very simple for people to move from and in, invoke their power it's not like that in banking for example right like banks make it super hard to move your, your accounts. And, and, and that's part of like this whole selling lots and lots of products to a customer so that it makes them actually even harder for them to, to make a choice. And then said, they just settle for mediocre experience. Um, but in other companies, for sure, it, we've seen it. We've seen where it, you know, companies put it out there and say, let's, let's um, make it easy for you to leave but we're going to keep you because we have such an extraordinary experience and we can get more companies to follow that kind of model and put the value in that experience that keeps somebody instead of always trying to protect the bottom line, you know, thinking people are going to leave, you know, it's again, that same rule around, you know, making rules for the 0.1% that doesn't want to come to work and do great. It's the same thing. We make rules or decisions because we're scared a customer is going to leave us instead of figuring out how to keep them so that they don't make those quick and easy changes between companies.
1: Well, that sounds fair that sounds fair enough and you know I, I certainly encountered that in the past where you you sometimes it's uh, some companies want to work with you. That it's just it's you never want to go because it's such a good experience working with them, and, and others that, that you, you you can't want to go because it's going to be such a pain in the butt to try and get out as a company. Really? So you end up sort of it's like you sort of locked in. I've sort of I've been a customer for 25 years, you know, not by choice, but by sort of because it's just too much of a pain to continue to move away. Um, I'd like us to change chat, tack slightly um, back mm-hmm. into that sort of leadership side because you were saying that's something that um, it gets you out of bed in. In the morning something you've always been interested in you've led um, customer experience teams so is there a particular um, leadership or management tool or mental model that you use with when you're working with people that you think perhaps our, our listeners would benefit from knowing about
2: i really do try um to to create uh an environment where people can um can fail Right, and that they feel comfortable, and they know that it's okay to. In order to have a really growth mindset and to move businesses forward and learn, you need to try, and you need to be willing to to try different things and 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 putting a an um a structure or a framework in place in a in a team so that you can try something, learn really quickly, and pivot if it's not quite working as you expected. Um, I think that that has been. Um, you know, one of the things that I've seen work really successfully in the last few years, um, particularly because I think businesses and leadership teams change so quickly, you know, things, things in the environment, like who would have known after, you know, going through what we've gone through the last couple of years, but even prior to the last couple of years, right. Like technology changes all the time. The, what, what, what we expect, you know, we, you know, before, if we think back 10 years, we expected to do customer experience probably two different ways, right? In person or over the phone. Now you can do customer experience without ever talking to a human. You can just interact with a with a like an Uber app or um or the neo financial banking app. You know, like you can do everything digitally and not have to you know have any human interaction at all. Or you might choose to have human interaction, but it's through a chat. Um, you, there's all these different ways that you can experience things. That um, contribute to how you feel and and how you move forward. So in leadership, we have to create a framework that allows us to be flexible. Try something if it's not working, try something else, and learn from it. So that's kind of the 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 the, the kind of I guess mantra way I do it going forward right now.
1: Well, I, I like that piece around allowing people to to fail. I, I remember some years ago, I worked for a regional director who used to say, you yeah, know, we have a no-blame culture here. But people who work there said, yeah, we have a no-blame culture until something goes wrong. And then the proverbial shit hits the fan and the, and the guy, you know, looks for somebody to blame. So it was like the difference between the reality of that being a no-blame culture, or allow people to fail and make mistakes, mm. and paying lip service to it. And an example of seeing it in, in reality: um, it actually, it's uh, Hannah's uh, hockey coach this year always has a phrase on the games. He said, we, "We don't have wins and losses; we have wins and learning experiences. The only time mm-hmm. we truly lose is if we don't learn anything from it." And yeah. I, I know that I know the kids, as you can imagine, you know, your daughter's a similar age, you know, the um, late teen girl, they sort of roll their eyes a little bit of this glib thing. But I listened to it and thought, well, no, there's a truth in that. If you're not learning from it, um, then you've actually got nothing out of the experience. But if you've learned something, then that can be equally as valuable uh, later down the line for you for them. And and I think it's both ooh, applicable in, in the business sense as well.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I think back to a time when my son was playing and um, you know, he won the whole year. I think they lost like one game the entire year. And they probably they learned very little that year in comparison to a year where, you know, more of a 50-50 split and they learned how to win versus just it automatically coming to them. And I think that applies in business as well. If you go through a time and we've seen it where companies have like one, 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 everything's working perfectly. They've you know hit that viral, something they're doing went viral and it's all amazing until it's not. And then they have to figure out how to learn to fail. And because uh, and, and they just didn't learn those lessons along the way.
0: So who created that kind of an environment for you? Is, was there a leader or a mentor that uh, helped you along when you were gr- uh, coming up through the ranks or growing in your career?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's a variety. I've always surrounded myself with, um, you know, different mentors and leaders that have contributed ideas or provided me with or provoked me, I think, with different thoughts and and considerations or literature to read. Um, I've uh, been very, one of the great things about financial institutions is their depth of leadership, right? Like they do, attract and hire amazing employees and leaders. And so I have, you know, took something a little bit of something from everyone. Um, And I would say one leader in particular, um, you know, did encourage me to step way outside my comfort zone, which then made, you know, obviously an opportunity to fail. Because you don't usually step out your comfort zone and do it perfectly, or you wouldn't be outside your comfort zone. And so because he celebrated that versus um, reprimanding or make you feel bad for it, um, I think I just took that and and found that that really works with, um, particularly in my case, you know, I, I lead teams that have multiple layers of leaders some that that's their first leadership job and some that, you know, have been leading for many, many decades. Um, and so this is something that can apply uh, in different degrees for 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 different um, skill uh, in leadership along the journey.
0: So you said there was one person who helped you step outside the comfort zone. Who? Name names.
2: <laughs> His name's Terry. Uh, he was a uh, he was a mentor, uh, and leader of mine when I was working, um, at Scotiabank, but he worked for actually one of our partner companies, uh, at Teleperformance.
0: Okay. So Terry, if you're listening to this podcast, shout out to you. Way to yeah. lead, way to make an, <laughs> an impact on the next generation. It's still being I will called
1: send to this it to day. Him. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Please do. That'd be great. Well, I was going to say, and Terry, if you're not listening to this podcast, why not? Listen, listen, stop what you're doing immediately and listen. We need a timestamp when it comes in, when he gets his his mention. Um, So that will be be great. So with that in mind then, in in your opinion, Shannon, what's the most important uh, personality trait or strength that you feel somebody would need to work as a leader and be effective?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great one. I think um, right now um, probably the biggest strength that I look for in my leaders is this um, curiosity, this um, desire to solve problems and really understand the, what's happening, and and um, and and that curiosity to ask lots of questions and really uncover. Uh, maybe a situation that they're trying to solve, or maybe they've got a team member that's um, not performing well. And um, people who can really go in and and have a curiosity, they have a critical way of thinking, and they can problem solve. Those type of leaders, um, in my mind, are really raising to the top now. And it's it's a skill that I know when I started leading that we never even talked about. But you know, over my career, I figured out that in, in any given day, like I don't even know, I must I must make a hundred different decisions, um, and you need to be able to problem solve super quickly and and really isolate you know from some what somebody's telling you what it is the real core of that problem is or know which questions to ask to make sure that they understand what the problem is and and then and then source and and uh, solve it together.
1: And that's uh, that. Last piece was one of the things that, with the part of the work that Ken and I do, and have mentioned about when we work with professional uh, improv artists to give people uh, managers and leaders the opportunity to practice having those difficult workplace conversations. So the, you know, the the improv artist becomes the uh, you know uh, employee, and the manager has to sort of try and get to the bottom of the problem and find a solution. And it was exactly that point about people really trying to ask the right questions, to listen to the answers, to see is the first answer the. person? person gives me is that really the problem or the reason behind it do I need to mm. dig down and find out what they're not saying or you know what they're telling me and then how they're looking at the time and reading some of the the, the, the body language with people and having a much more sort of intuitive um, read on what's going on in the conversation rather than simply uh, there are six questions you have to ask somebody in this type of interview um, once you've asked them the interviews done and it was more of a you know getting to understand um, what, what, what was sitting behind what people were saying? Because often there was like a second layer or third layer until you got down to the real mm. problem.
2: Yeah, one of the things that I learned over my career is that, is remembering that when somebody brings you a problem, um, you know, especially if it's bringing to their leader or maybe even a step above their leader, um, that that took courage. So chances of them testing the full problem the first time out. Is, is probably not, they're going to just kind of dip their toe in, get a temperature check on, on whether the leader's open to listening uh, and hearing what they have to say. So, you know, having an opportunity to ask great questions and really make them feel like uh, what they're saying is really important and you really are interested in helping them resolve, um, you know, just, it just creates a much better experience. And I think we actually get to the problem And solution much faster.
0: Speaking of asking good questions, it's time for our intermission break. Yeah. Where we now do the effing quick fire questions, so we're going to fire a number of questions at you just to kind of get to know a little bit more about your personality and who you are as a person. And Russell and I are going to alternate between asking them to, you. so they come at you pretty, like quick fire, quick sure. literally. And again, here we're looking for you know just a quick response. So uh, we might ask you, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's your favorite ex? But and we're just looking for for a little bit about <laughs> that rather than rather than an in depth critical essay as to why this is an important cultural artifact. So the first question is, what's your favorite movie? Horrible Bosses. Oh, good choice.
2: <laughs> well, we're talking about leadership, right? So That makes
0: sense. That's right. <laughs> what's your favorite TV show? Friends. Of course. Favorite book?
2: Um, my favorite book, I you know I read so many, but recently I've read a couple. Uh, I love Mark Messier's new book on No One Wins Alone. And I just recently read uh, "Powerful," uh, the Netflix story. Uh, partially to because I'm working for a startup, it was a really good kind of recenter you in what what might be the differences between startups and corporations. Okay, all right, Russell, over
0: to you for the next few quick fires. Yeah,
2: uh, favorite hobby? Uh, watching my children play hockey because I have no idea. That's not a hobby.
0: That's a (laughs) full-time job that demands an exceeding
1: (laughs) amount of attention
0: and effort from you and leaves you exhausted
1: and drained at the end of every day. It is. (laughs) That that, that sounds very familiar. I think we could get to that. It's probably between us, right? A sort of guide on every arena in and around Alberta (laughs) and and the the pros and cons of each one. Um, Yeah, and
2: the
1: quickest way to get there. Yeah, yeah, quickest way to get back sometimes. Uh, Favorite sports team? Uh, Edmonton Oilers. Okay, this interview's over.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like to put some controversy into the podcast. <laughs>
1: yeah, oh, uh, if, if I'd known that was going to be the the, the answer, Stanley, we wouldn't have invited you on. <laughs> no, okay, okay, <laughs> okay. We're we're with the with, with the Oilers. Um, so, back into our um, business theme, we looked at sort of positive um, traits uh, for leaders, um, but also we really to think about: is there a in your view is there a most overrated virtue in business that people will espouse but really doesn't deliver what you'd sort of expect it to deliver
2: yeah it's a good one I really had to think about this one and I don't know that I came up with uh one particular one um with the exception of you know um more more about on the trust side but what But it wasn't like, obviously, you want people to trust you and trust the business. But you know what it was, I think, is more about like accountability and how that plays into that. I hear it all the time, holding someone accountable and and you got, you know, they have to trust you in order to to hold them accountable. And, you know, it goes back to my overall leadership thought on, um, on are you really responsible for um, the person to do the person's own success as a leader? or are you responsible for creating an environment where they can elevate their own success and and um, deliver what their personal excellence looks like And so um, you know that was kind of the spin I took on that versus some of the virtues that are really high moral um, you know virtuals and b- business as opposed to kind of how we word them into actions for leaders.
0: And is there one particular word or phrase that is most overused? Yeah, I think hold someone accountable. That one? That's the one right there?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is the one. I hear it all the time. Empower people maybe too, right? Again, I think about people come with their own power. They come with their own experience and their own expertise. And so let them, you know, empower the rest of the team, uh, you know, through their own power versus you having as a leader to empower them.
1: So we talked about some of your um, successes in your career. You've talked about some of the positives, the things that you've enjoyed. Um, What's been the biggest effing career failure that you've had? Um, And what did you learn from the experience?
2: Oh, so many failures. It was hard to pick one. (laughs) Um, So probably the biggest or the one I learned the most from was um, taking a superior's word for it. Right. So in a conversation, um, they needed me to do something and they promised me something in return. And then uh, where the big failure came was that when they didn't deliver on their end, I'm not speaking up and talking to them about it and instead just accepting it. Um, it kind of goes back to that, you know, that whole thing of holding someone accountable. I live by, I, you know, if I make promises, I keep them, um, and I don't make ones I can't keep. Um, and, um, instead, you know, so I sort of thought that they would hold themselves accountable and by not speaking up, I really didn't hold them accountable to that. And ultimately I was the one that ended up, you know, um, disappointed and, and self-reflecting that I had done something that would make them not want to deliver what they had promised me. So, um, I des- definitely learned not to assume that people understand, um, you know, what it is that they promise or remember what they promised you and that you should always um, talk to them, speak up if something's bugging you. Um, also make sure that they know what you're contributing, right? So maybe, you know, I'll never know because I didn't speak up, but maybe um, I wasn't delivering what they thought, what, what they wanted and, um, and I should have been stronger in letting them know how I was contributing and that how that aligned to what they had promised me back in return. So, um, I definitely keep that in mind and, and do speak up a lot more than I, I used to, uh, earlier in my career. That seems like a great personal motto. Speak up.
0: It seems right? like a great, great way to like yeah. kind of live your life. Do you have, is that your, is that your personal model? Do you have other mottos that you live your life by?
2: Yeah. So to be quite honest, that's, uh, that is a, not a motto. That is a development thing for me because it is not in my comfort zone to speak up and to um, talk about myself or, or what I've accomplished. So I really have to practice that and I have to, I have to um, prepare for it. So it does not naturally come to me, uh, but I am much more aware and I definitely include it in how I train and develop my own leaders uh, around me so that they really understand the power of being able to talk about your business, um, how what you're doing as a leader, the contribution you're making to the business um, so that when you go to ask those questions, maybe somebody didn't follow through or you need feedback, uh, people are really, um, they are able to talk to give you a good answer and you can feel more comfortable, I think, actually speaking up. So, uh, that is still something I work on all the time. But if you talk about a motto, um, I, I have a couple, um, I talk about like be brilliant. Uh, this one's important, special to me. It's one where you just like always think about how you show up and just having, um, you know, a really kind of brilliance around you. Uh, you're, you're really happy or you. You're feeling like energized. You have that energy to put out to other people um, as well as to yourself, right? Keeping yourself in check that things are, you know, even in the worst days, uh, that self-talk about, you know what, you did something brilliant today and, and live by that. And then the other one I, I live by uh, hangs on my wall in my home office is uh, be kind and work hard. So, you know, you can you know, We've you probably all been around or worked in environments where people really, really worked hard and that, uh, but we're all really not nice to work with, right? If we have to all work together and, you know, I, I'm, we all work really hard every day, just be kind to one another. And, uh, it makes working hard that much more enjoyable.
0: So be brilliant and be kind are two mottos that you live by. And you mm-hmm. said that the first one, speak up, is something that's really challenging for you. What about these other two? Be kind and be brilliant. Do you, are those challenging for you? Are those Do you use those as mottos because you you have to remind yourself every day when you get up to be kind?
2: No, they would be probably more in line with how I live my life and more natural. And that um, that if you can invoke those in other people then um, the world's probably a better place to work.
0: I suppose there's the challenge right there. And that's what makes it a motto is that it's Mm -hmm. something you're trying
1: to instill and lead by example for others. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you've been talking through this, um, Shannon, about some of your, um, you know, what you've learned through um, your career, some of the experiences you've had. And you'd also mentioned about, um, yeah, you know, watching your kids play play hockey. Similarly, that's how we, that's how we met. I, I wanted to ask you, what do you think the lessons that um, kids learn from playing a sport like hockey? What are the lessons that you perhaps felt that your kids have learned from playing that sport?
2: You know, I think very much uh, what we've talked about, right? That that ability to speak up, right? Um, that um, ability to know how to fail. And what it feels like to win, like part of being self-driven is you got to know what it feels like when you accomplish success. And so I think those are a couple of things they learn, obviously working with teams and, and being around a variety of people that not everybody might be your favorite person, but really understanding that everybody has a contribution and plays a role on a team and particularly in hockey where... You spend a very long season together <laughs> with 17 other people. Um, if there's conflict or um, dislike for someone, you've got to figure out how to fix that because it's going to be a really long and unsuccessful season, uh, given there's a small number of people working towards a, a common goal. Um, I love to hiring athletes into business because they definitely have, you know, a discipline, a work ethic. And they also know how to be coached. So one of the things that, you know, is integral to to developing um, great people in a business is the ability to give them feedback, coach them, help develop them in their task. And and athletes, first of all, accept coaching really well, as well as um, are able to develop uh, into a leader and coach well.
1: And and that was one of the things that was uh, interesting, your thoughts on that, Shannon, because when he interviewed Kevin Kabelka from um, Hockey Calgary, one of the things that Mm. Kevin was talking about with the link between um, sports, but particular hockey, because that was the the area he was focusing on, um, is that what we were doing was not really uh, developing hockey players. What we were developing were good citizens who would be the leaders of tomorrow, and hockey was Mm. the vehicle for that. If they happened to go on and you know, have a career in hockey one way or another, that was like a bonus, but really it was about how we're developing good people who will become good citizens, who will become good leaders. Um, And it was interesting then hearing you sort of, you know, resonating some of that in your your own thoughts there.
2: Yeah. Like I even know as an athlete myself in a, in a different part of my life, um, I rely still heavily. I, I think back to those times when we were, you know, at national competition and, you know that pressure was on, and uh, we missed something, or we didn't. We didn't uh, execute the way we had had planned to as a team. And what you got out of those, you know, similar to what we said before, you know, what you take um, when you lose is not really a loss. It's what you what you learn from it and move forward with. And I re- I refer to that kind of stuff in my mind often, still even today. And I have not been an athlete. For-
0: several decades. <laughs> We're nearly at time, uh, but let, let's ask to squeeze in two more quick questions here. If you could be remembered for one effing thing, Shannon, what would it be?
2: Um, you know what? It, it would be the contribution I made to another leader's career. So I really expect the best from the people that work with me. Um, however, I don't just ask them to do the best. I, I help them by showing them how and giving them an environment to learn, and so helping leaders develop um, by providing them a safe place to fail, like I mentioned earlier, um, it's key to my my approach and my uh, of being able to cultivate strong and successful leaders. So, if I can be remembered for that in in you know uh, a few of those leaders that I've led over the years, uh, that would be something I would I would honor being remembered for.
0: That's a nice callback to the reference you made to your own mentor earlier in the podcast. Thank you for that.
1: So we had to ask before um, before we close all of our guests, uh, an opportunity to promote something that you're working on at the moment. So what are you currently working on that you think our listeners should effing care about? You know, give us, give us that 60 seconds as to, uh, to what you're doing.
2: Yeah, I might have given this away earlier, but... Um, you know, I'm pretty excited about the work we're doing here at Neo Financial, uh, building a new bank. I never thought this, at this point in my career, that I would get the opportunity to build a new bank and it's going to rival traditional banks. And, uh, and what I'm, what I'm accountable for here is creating a new experience in, you know, in banking for Canadians. And, and what I actually think about it, you know, and I talk to my team about is, They're like, well, tell us what that is. And I said, but we don't really know yet, right? Because we're at that stage, if we think, and I'm going to use my Starbucks example, like go back to, I I think about what they were in in Seattle, talking around a boardroom table, trying to decide what the Starbucks experience was. You didn't just all of a sudden come out and, you know, decide that we all were going to know what Benti and Barista meant. Instead, they developed that over a period of time and figured out what worked and what didn't work, what customers loved, what customers, you know, thought was eh. Instead, so we are now in that point of trying to cultivate uh, what is exceptional for customers and what that experience will mean. But it's really a journey to forever change what Canadians experience Uh, when they interact with their financial institution. And I love that we're on that journey and I'm excited to see what it's going to turn out to be.
0: For the record, I still don't know what venti means. And I still (laughs) simply ask point at which size I want. So, you know.
2: (laughs) And the only reason I know is because that's what my daughter always wants me to order for her.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us here today, Shannon. You've been a great guest and it's been a great conversation and I'm really excited to see the future of Neo Financial. I've been seeing the name all over and I've been getting increasingly curious and to know that they're offering or planning to offer an exceptional customer experience is even more enticing because I got to tell you, I'm not satisfied with most of the customer experiences that I've been getting from our financial institutions. So, you can count on me to be looking at your website afterwards. And I invite all of our listeners to do the same because it looks very exciting. And that wraps up this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. Remember to subscribe via Apple podcasts or Spotify podcasts. If you haven't completely abandoned that platform, like Joni Mitchell and Neil Young, share the link with your friends and colleagues. And then you can always reach out to us at the email address in the show notes. Goodbye for now. And we better effing talk to you soon because we count on you, our effing listeners.
1: Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks everyone.
2: Thank you.